Glad that you're here. If you have your Bible, why don't you turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, We've been in a long series over the summer. It's officially fall, but we still have one more teaching left in this series on the life of faith, mostly from Hebrews 11, but we want to wrap it up today by looking at the point of Hebrews 11, which is driving home what we do. So if you're new, welcome. My name is Jose, and I do encourage you, if you're newer to the community and have never been to basics, just hang out. It's in the room right behind here afterwards. Lunch is provided. If your kids are here, we'll gladly take care of them. And we want you to get your questions answered because a church ought to be a small thing, even if it grows larger, where you really feel connected to people. And basics is the number one way to, to do that. So um, I encourage you. We'll, we'll pray and we'll We'll jump right in. Lord, we thank you for the day. We thank you for the opportunity to worship you freely in this country. Uh, we don't take it for granted, God. You've chosen to allow us to be here. And so thank you for this building, this space, uh, for the coffee, food to eat, and now a chance to look at the scriptures. And we pray, Holy Spirit of God, that you'll teach us what we need to know to practice the way of Jesus. In your name, amen. Sometimes uh, life does not go According to plan, I don't know if that's been your experience, I was just uh, for two weeks in Africa, first in West Africa and in Cote d'Ivoire, and I was speaking in two different cities, had only five days on the ground, so there's an airport in city number two, and so the plan was to fly in, drive to city number one, short drive back, fly the long distance to city number two and get back, only to find out a couple weeks before we left that they closed the airport. Uh, runway repair, evidently. And so when is it going to reopen? Well, we're not sure when it's done. So I was like, okay. So that changed a very like easy trip to a drive, short distance, drive, long distance, get out, preach, get back in. And I spent most of the time in a, a van that wasn't all that comfortable, but that's just life, right? You got your plan and then life hits. Um, from there, went to to Eastern Africa, to Uganda, uh, to do an outreach, all planning to be at the first week of their schools. We mapped the whole thing. So to do school assemblies, first week of the term, and end with a back-to-school big youth event where I'd share the gospel. Makes sense. First week of school, all teachers are like, yeah, no problem, come on in. Well, two weeks before we go, nationally, they changed the beginning of school to the Monday after we're gone. How convenient. Nobody emailed me. They didn't text me. They, didn't, they don't know who I am. They don't care. But, but it totally changed the makeup. So two weeks before we go in, I'm finding I'm being Cote d'Ivoire in a car, and then we find out we have to reorient everything with days to spare. In the end, it worked out great, but there's your plan, and then there's life, Right? So it's Friday. We've been doing these events, trying to find students, go where they are. And we did find a school that had opened early. And uh, I'm in the principal's office before we're going out. And I just start feeling like, ugh, not so great. Scott Ballard's with me. He's one of our elders here. And, and we're going to go. I'm like, hey, man, Scott, why don't you talk to the students? I'm just not feeling great. He's about to get up. I run out of the room and start throwing up and dry heaving for about a half an hour. And just like, okay, what was that all about? There's life, right? There's like your plan, and then there's what, what happens. And that's, is that normal? Yeah. Not me dry heaving, by the way. But that's, that's not normal. But that's, you have your idea 
of what this week's going to look like. You do already. You've mapped out this week. And then let's talk next Sunday about what actually happens. Well, somewhere in between what you think and what really happens is the life of faith. And that's what we've been getting at all summer. You and I have plans, but then God is leading us. And sometimes my plans, I don't know if you've gotten tuned to this yet. Sometimes my plans aren't God's. <laughs> A lot of the time. And sometimes I don't know what he wants. And then so I end up with, why God did this happen to me? Faith is the ability to navigate from what you think to to what God is actually going to do in your life. We need to learn to trust him and grow in trusting him day by day and not getting discouraged. Well, there's what happens and then there's your plans and then there's faith. Hebrews 11 is the reminder because everyone in there, their life has twists and turns. And we realize their encounter with God changed their perspective. And that's what I hope is happening for us. We're learning and growing and our perspective is changing. Now this is the final, this is the wrap up of all we've been learning leading us to next Sunday. Here's just a reminder, if you're new here, on the first Sunday of every month, we, instead of meeting at 9 and 11, what time do we meet? We meet at 10. We gather as the larger family, the larger church to celebrate what God's doing. It just so happens next Sunday is October 1 and it's our Vision Sunday. Every year around this time for us, the year isn't January to December. No offense to the calendar. But our year is the school year. And so in the fall through the spring, we have some things we've been praying about, thinking about, dreaming about, and we share that so that you can pray and join and dream together for what we think God wants to do in the coming year. So don't miss out on that. If you've got to be gone, podcast it. But today, let's, let's ask the why. Why do we get the list in Hebrews 11 of Abel and Enoch and Noah and, and Moses and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and the list? Why do we get all of those people? What's happening? Hebrews 12 gives us the reason, the, the why it's there. So let's just look at it together. Hebrews 12 verse 1. Therefore, in light of all these people, in light of their life of faith, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. What do we get here? Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, the the visual is, is obvious. You have an arena or you have a stadium and there is a long distance race. Now the normal visual, when I, when I first read this, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, I would think what the writer is saying is I'm running the race and like Noah's there saying, yo, and you know, Abraham and Isaac are saying, come on, job well done. And, and they're like cheering us on to live for Jesus. That's like what I would think, because the runner 
if you go to a sporting event, all eyes are where? On the field, right? Actually, I don't, I don't think that's the visual he's trying to give us. I think rather he flips it and says, as we are running, it's not so much that Noah's looking at us and Abraham and Joseph, but rather we're remembering them as we run. We're running the race, but we're not running a race in a vacuum. We're remembering we're not the first people to run. We're not the last people to run. We're on the journey like they're on the journey. And so their lives are supposed to fuel us. There's got to be someone in your life that's inspiring you, you know, whether it's a family member or a friend or someone who's like, wow, I just, if I could ever grow up someday, I want to be like whoever. And for us, God gives us real men and women that as we're running, the, the, the cloud of witnesses, we're looking to them and getting inspiration to follow Jesus as well. How do I live the life of faith? Well, we looked at, I, I went back and counted. What is faith like? There were 20 or more principles that we looked at over the summer. I know all of you remember all of them. I totally get it. And let's start with principle one more. No, I won't do it. I can't remember. I had to go look back and I wrote the notes. Hello. But I want to look at two that drove most of them. And that is this. Faith is relational and faith is visible. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, faith is about believing. It's about more than believing just facts. And it's about choices that we make and decisions and actions that we take. And so in light of all the people who've gone before us, how can we grow in relationship to Jesus? Because remember, faith isn't a force. It's, it's a real ongoing active communication with God. And you could see it in the, the way that we live. In light of their lives, how do I live today? Here's the key. We get it in verse 3. Num one word, consider. How am I going to grow in faith? Consider. Consider what? Verse 3. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you don't grow weary and lose heart. It, in the first three verses of, of Hebrews 12, there's one big command followed with all ways that we can live out the command. And the command is to consider. In light of everyone who's gone before you, in light of everything that you've seen in other people, consider how you're living right now. So three things I want us to consider this morning that we see from Hebrews 12. And then we're going to move to our, our Vision Sunday next next weekend, where we're going to begin to look at how to live this out. First thing, write it down. Consider what's holding you back. There was an obstacle in every person's life. Noah had an obstacle. Abraham had an obstacle. He couldn't have any children. Joseph had an obstacle. His brothers hated him and threw him in prison. Moses had an obstacle. His name was Pharaoh and a thing called slavery. Everyone's got an obstacle. And when you're living your life, you got to remember there are things that are going to hold you back from thriving in your faith if you let them. But you don't have to let them. Therefore, since we're surrounded by all these people who face obstacles just like we do and challenges just like we do, their faith in God helped them push through. So the metaphor is a race. And, 
And if you're planning for a race and you're planning, especially for a long race, for some of you, a long race would be like a flight of stairs. That's like a, a long race. For others, it's a mile or two or half marathon or marathon. And we have people in this room that run 50 to 100 miles at a pop. I won't mention them by name, Christian Isaacson. But, but you have people that just run and run and run and run and run. In light of a long race, what do you need to think about? Um, some of us, th that's not our gig, so I'll, I'll state the obvious. Wait. You, if you're going to run a long race, don't, don't wear a scarf, right? Don't do layers. You don't, you don't go out there with layers on the bottom and layers on the top. I don't care how cold it is. If you're going to run a long race, you want to give your body the flexibility to move, and that means letting go of things that everyone else is wearing. Now, this isn't just about running. It's not a fitness talk, right? It is about what's holding you back from freely enjoying Jesus and living the life that God intended. And so he says in verse 1, look, therefore, since we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders. So long-distance runners wear less. I mean, there are short shorts, and then there's long runner short shorts, right? They just want full mobility. And, and if it's a guy, and they're really good and have abs, they're, they're running without a shirt or just a little tank top. You, you, are, you are letting go of everything that you don't need. You don't carry your backpack on a 50-mile run weighing you down with your favorite novel. You let go of it. And that sounds so obvious, but the metaphor is about life. In other words, consider what's holding you back from enjoying Jesus. And, and he, doesn't, he doesn't hint, the writer doesn't hint, uh, leave us wondering what, what the thing is. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And so let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us. What is it that keeps you and I from enjoying all that God has for us? It, the answer is sin. Now, sin as a word has gotten a bad rap, and so people avoid it. It's not sin. There's a matter of opinion. You have your way of living. I have my way of living. And, and so we don't want to talk about in culture sin because sin implies something is right and something is wrong. And to say and suggest that my way of living isn't just an alternative, but it's actually wrong, isn't popular with culture. But I just have to remind you that sometimes it's the obvious that's tripping us up. And we forget that what's going to keep me from enjoying, that's not that Jesus always loves you. Jesus always cares for you. Jesus always has grace, always has mercy, always is encouraging you on, always is picking you up. But what is it that trips me up from enjoying him is sinfulness. Because sin is like a weight on a runner's back. And it will drag you down and it will zap you of energy. And so the good news is, as the writer says, you and I can throw off things that entangle. In other words, you may be struggling with an issue, struggling with some sort of repetitive sin, some sort of thing that you know is wrong, but, but it just feels good, so you do it anyway. And then you just feel terrible afterwards and say, God, I'm Sorry, but you know I'm sorry, and you actually know I'm going to do it tomorrow. And it's a cycle. And what will, will end up happening is if you're not careful, you will become discouraged. You will slow down. Instead of pressing into more of what God has for you, that sin will shame you 
or those sins will shame you to the point where it just it's better if I don't even think about Jesus because I just feel guilty. Who wants to walk around feeling guilty, right? And so what the writer is saying is, Think about your life. Your life is a race, and you and I have the ability to throw things off, uh, throw off everything that hinders. The word hinders can be translated the mass, the weight, the load. Throw off the load that keeps you. And so sin is an issue for the life of the believer. Now, let me let you off the hook. Every Jesus follower sins every day. Good news. Come to church more often. So, the, 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 so I'm not, you may be saying like, wow, like, man, I already feel far from God. Now you tell me I'm in deep trouble. I'm here to say that we all wrestle with sin. And so every Jesus follower is going to think out of alignment with God, act out of alignment with God, and flat out rebel, hopefully not often, but rebel. So, so we're all in the same boat. We're all running and we're all dealing with the fact is there are things holding us back. So that's not a question as if you're struggling or if you sin. But I, I, I want to suggest that the wise follower of Jesus and the good athlete doesn't ignore it, but deals with it. And so the mature believer in Jesus recognizes that sin, my own rebellion, my own wanting to do the thing I know I shouldn't or avoid doing the good I know I should, that's what keeps me from enjoying the beautiful thing called walking through life with Jesus. And so it's not a matter of if you sin or if you don't sin. We all sin. Mature followers of Jesus learn to resist it. And that is what's going to mark out the quality of your race or the amount of joy you have in following Jesus is are you just going along with what you want to do and, and your own tendencies or... Again, the analogy is helpful. A good athlete, a strong athlete, a wise athlete recognizes there are some roadblocks to me running well and they purpose to deal with it. Okay, so let's just take the test. We're going to check our pulse, everyone. You actually have a device for that. You don't even need to use your fingers. But let's just check the pulse for a second. Think about a year from now and if you've been following Jesus more than a year. A year, I'm sorry, a year ago, and now, are you more passionate about pursuing Jesus than a year ago? In other words, is your race getting stronger or have you slipped a little bit? This isn't a, this isn't a point the finger. This is a reality check. In a race, there is uh, tendencies. We tend to either slow down or do well. We tend to fall off pace or stay on pace. And so what we need to know is that sin has the obvious side effect of derailing all the good that God wants to do in our world. And so you can choose to ignore it, but let me just tell you, it will entangle and it will slow you down. Again, we all go through the struggles. It's not a matter of if you sin or if you don't. The question is, are you being wise and confronting it or just letting it eat at you. And all I want to say is that we get Hebrews 11 to lead us to Hebrews 12. And that is God wants to grow us and God wants to shape us and God wants to set us free. Are you going to partner with God in that? Or are you just going to coast? Yes, God has grace. God has mercy. God loves you. 
But he wants to grow you. And what he does is he often uses hardship to press through. Uh, if you've ever tried to go past your normal, so if your normal is a mile, uh, if you try to do two, you realize it's not always as easy as it seems. You know, you hit the one mile mark and then a mile and a half, you're like, man, I'm running out of steam. Well, that is a challenge. It's an opportunity for you to break through and make it through to the second mile or stop. And in life, hardship and trials and struggles, uh, persecution from others, uh, misunderstandings, things I don't, I don't get, they're all opportunities for us to push through and grow in faith. That is, learn to trust God more deeply when I don't understand. Or those same things can turn me away from God. Haven't you met people who started following Jesus, but an event happened in their world, and somehow like, God, I, yeah, the whole God is good, the whole Jesus is there. Where was Jesus when? And so that circumstance, it, it shipwrecked or sidelined all the good when God wanted to take that even bad thing, which is bad, and turn it for good. In other words, we need to do something and I feel like, well, what do I do? Look at verse 2. It tells us exactly what we do. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. How do I actually resist temptation? How do I, how do I break through? You say, Jose, what, what happens when I'm stuck and I, I don't know how to get out of this? Well, number two, first thing is you need to consider what's holding you back. If you haven't identified it, if you're not aware of it, how are you going to press through? Second thing, though, is no matter what it is, consider how Jesus lived. Fixing our eyes on, on Jesus. You see, Jesus lived by faith. We think, well, Jesus is God. Yes, he's God, but he's God made flesh. Jesus wrestled with real temptation. The Bible says he was tempted in every way, just like us. He, he was tempted sexually. He was tempted um, with things, with stuff. He was tempted to fight back when people opposed him. Everything you're going through, Jesus went through. He knows. The good news is you can learn and I can learn. If you want to grow as an athlete, what do you do? You find the athlete that's stronger or breaking through where you're not and you ask them for help, right? So in trying to grow in running, you find someone who can run longer and you can learn from them. And so you look at them, you watch what they do, you watch what they eat, you watch how they train, you, you, you learn from them. And then hopefully, as you get out there, you can apply what you've learned. Well, how do you do this in life? Here's the good news. Jesus lived by faith. He's a man, so he's tempted in every way just like us, but he never goes outside the parameters of his father. Remember in the garden, Jesus is about to go to the cross and he says, Lord, if there's any way, can you stop this? He knows that God's good plan is that Jesus would be the sacrifice once for all so that you and I could be free. So God laid on Jesus the sin of us all. And, and because of his sacrifice, you and I don't have to pay for the things that we've done, but we actually can be set free because Jesus stood in our place. And and God could offer us grace because our sin has been paid in full by Jesus. Okay, but, but when Jesus is about to go there, does he want to go there? The answer is no. If there's any way, so he pleads with the Father, is if there's any way. In other words, as you and I are facing temptations and struggles and trials, 
Jesus knows exactly what you're going through because he didn't want to, but in the end, he saw the big picture. He saw the long-term race. And he knew that in obeying the Father, in walking in obedience to the Father, yes, he would pay. It would be painful for him, but in the end, it would give you life. And so looking at the big picture, Jesus can obey the Father fully. Sometimes we slip into sin, we slip into rebellion, we slip into whatever, because we forget the big picture. Do you know that your life matters and the way that you live in following Jesus could be a massive influence to other people? Jesus not only wants to rescue you, he maybe already did if you responded to him, but he wants to now use you as ambassadors. How do most people come to faith in Jesus? Is it by direct revelation where Jesus goes, oh, no. How do most people come to faith in Jesus? It's through the influence of someone else, isn't it? Someone else is living the life of faith and somehow God the Holy Spirit touches this person who's watching someone else follow Jesus and their life, imperfect, but their life becomes an inspiration. Their mind is open, their heart is open, and suddenly they find themselves following as well. When we go off course, when we stumble into our own stuff, it not only hurts us, but it has the potential to hurt other people who are around us. How many people who have you met said, I, I used to go to church or my parents went to church, but um, X, Y, Z. This is what I saw. This is what I heard. They were like this on Sunday, but like this on Monday. Like your life matters. So the way you live your life, the way you run this race makes a difference. So Jesus saw the big picture and he knew his small steps of obedience would make a difference in your world. And I'm here to say the same is true for you and me. It's not just about you enjoying Jesus. Absolutely, yes, that's part of it. But as you live the life of faith, as you grow in faith, as you grow in obedience, as people see the way that you live, it's going to make a massive difference in their world as well. So consider how Jesus lived. The author doesn't say consider Moses, consider Noah, consider Joseph. He says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter. You could translate it, the champion, the leader, the forerunner, the initiator. Jesus is the only one who lives the life fully faithful to God. Here's the good news. You don't have to guess. Like, what does it mean? Like, How do I really live this life of faith? Jesus, we see his life from birth to death. We see the way he responds to people. We see the way he teaches truth. We see how he acts it out. And now you and I are called to, to model him. And so as we focus our eyes on Jesus, and what gets me off is when I get my eyes on anyone else. And so don't follow me and don't follow the other people who are necessarily in this church, although I think there's great examples that can be learned. If you want to run the race well, if you want to live a life of faith, consider what's holding you back and then consider Jesus and how he lived. What do we learn from Jesus? Look, it says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. And so we, we, we remember in Jesus that the life of faith isn't pain-free. And Jesus really suffered. And so sometimes we get off track because we think, Jesus, I chose to follow you, but why is this still happening to me? 
If I love you and you say you love me, why am I going through? Why am I wrestling with, why did he do that? Why did she do that? Why does is, why is my life feel so incomplete? We forget the analogy of a race. In a race, you're going to have moments or miles that are, are just beautiful and carefree. And then you're going to hit you're going to hit the wall. There's the runner's high. Those of you who run long enough, you know that endorphins kick in at whatever mile marker for you. And as you're running along, it's a struggle. And then suddenly your body kicks in and it's like, oh, hello, thank you very much. It's like a quad shot of espresso if you've never been there. It's just like, oh, here I am. And, and you just feel good and there's no more pain and you could go, 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 go. But there's also another part of running long and that's called the runner's wall where a two-by-four hits you in the face and says, stop. And your body feels like, why did I do this? If you've ever gone beyond what you can normally do, you know that suddenly you realize, I'm in a race, I've got the number, I paid for this, and I'm an idiot. Because my body, everything within me is saying, everything within me is saying, stop, 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 lay down, take a nap, you know, give up. But you realize, i got a few more miles to go. And then you have to choose to keep going. Your legs feel like lead. And you have to choose to put one foot in front of the other. And then other people, if you're, if you're in a good situation, will come around you and give you a word of, come on, you got this. I'm like, no, I don't. You know, I get another person comes along, you got this. And you're like, well, maybe I could. And then, and then this happened to me. And then lady just goes right by, flying by me. I'm like, come on. And I'm like, machismo. I'm like, all right, I got this. You know, chauvinistic and it's sinful, but it's there. It's like, I try, I try. And we're, we, we hit highs and lows. And you know what? Following Jesus is filled with highs and lows. We need to be honest. The life of faith isn't perfect. You're thinking, I follow Jesus, but I'm still struggling with this temptation and it doesn't go away. Join the club. As you're seated in your row, there are at least two different types of people. Some came in here rejoicing. They've been praying for a job or, or a relationship-like issue to get mended or whatever the case may be, and they got a little victory this week. Some people in your row couldn't wait to come and rejoice because they've seen and experienced Jesus' faithfulness and like, I can't wait to, to give thanks to God, and I can't believe it. I didn't think I'd make it, and here I am, and I'm making it. And that's some, and there are some people in your row that don't know if they're going to make it through this week. We are all at different stages in the race. Some have that endorphin, that high, that yes, I could do it. Some have hit the wall and don't know if they're going to make it. I was just, uh, I went to hug a friend uh, at the first gathering, and I had no idea. I knew, I knew his dad was sick. He has got terminal cancer. And I just went, I hadn't seen him in a couple of weeks. I went to hug him and he just started bawling because I didn't realize his dad is about to pass. And he's just, you know, he's known it for months, but the, the weight of the moment, I realized that is life in the real world. And you will get discouraged and I will get, I'll get discouraged if I forget that that's normal. It's normal to have seasons of highs and lows and then some in the same week. That's normal. There's nothing wrong with you. That's the pattern of the Christian life. And that's why I need to fix my eyes on Jesus. Jesus had weeks of great ministry where there's miracles and heals and the dead, uh, people getting uh, healed and the dead being raised. And then he goes to other towns and they want to kill him. And he's misunderstood and he's maligned and he's misquoted. 
And then there's the cross. If you look at Jesus' life, it's not just, oh, glory. It's, he's a real man who wrestled with life just like we do. So if my eyes are on him, I will not get discouraged to the point of quitting. And if you feel like quitting this morning, look, don't. You're not alone. We are here. We're all in this together. And like any good athlete, you're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. The greatest thing that I could do and you can do is to find a few people who know what's holding you back and that could be there for you. They know when you go off. They know what triggers whatever. And, and open your life to them because they will be a blessing in your world when you hit the runner's wall and you don't know if you can make it, they'll be the person to come alongside you and they'll push you forward if they need to. We all need people like that. Well, consider what's holding you back and consider how Jesus lived his life. He's the pattern. The third thing I want us to write down is consider your life today. It's got to come down to to how you're living day to day, moment to moment. Look at verse 3. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you don't grow weary and lose heart. Where are you today? Where are you right now? If, if you're struggling, I want you just to keep reading verse 4 because if you want to know how to apply this out, verse 4 to 7 gives us the words. It says, In your struggle against sin, you've not resisted to the point of shedding your blood and, and, and you have completely forgotten the word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son. It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. In other words, the word of encouragement, which may not sound like an encouragement, but it actually is, is if you've been wrestling, if you've been struggling, if you've been uh, wandering a bit, God uses those as a father takes care of his son. In other words, a good father doesn't let their kid go off and do whatever they want. No, they add some structure, and at, at points, they add some hardship, some discipline, some I take it away. Because I know that's not going to be good for you. And we need to remember that in the seasons, especially when we hit a low, God hasn't forgotten us. God hasn't abandoned us. Now, let's be honest. Sometimes we're in that low where we feel that way because there's unconfessed sin in our life. We've wandered off, and in our gut we feel off, and that feeling of off is actually the Holy Spirit saying, I love you, and I want you to come back. We need to deal with this. But let's just say it's not a sin that you've committed and you're just struggling or facing some sort of ongoing harassment or, or temptation. In your struggle, you haven't resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Yes, it's hard, but Jesus took the ultimate sacrifice. Jesus took the ultimate punishment. Jesus knows what you and I are going through. And the hardships in our lives are sometimes God's greatest tool. What's going to push you to the next level, say, of, of strength? We'll go back to the running thing. Is it the easy days? I don't think, I don't think so. Is it the easy runs? I don't, I don't think so. I can go out and if I'm doing a short thing and it's fine and a mile or two or whatever. Does that stretch me? Not as much. It's, it's when I go out 
and it's a tough day, and I feel horrible, and I want to do three miles. I'm at one, and I'm like, eh, I'd rather watch TV. But the process of hitting that and saying, no, I'm going to go for it, and pressing through and making it to the end, that stretches me. Hardship is actually helpful. And God wants to take the difficult circumstances in our life, and as a good father, he uses those sometimes to discipline or correct or change or alter. He's not doing it as an ongoing punishment, saying, I no longer love you and I'm removing you, but rather as a good father, he takes care of his kids. And so even though we may be going through a rough spot, verse 7, endure hardship as discipline, God's treating you as his, as his child, as his children. And so even in this season, consider your life today. Don't let the lows, don't let the struggle push you away from Jesus. Use it as an opportunity to draw you closer. So if you're a follower of Jesus, the normal is to expect seasons of blessing and seasons of hardship. Just like running a race, there are miles that are easy and miles that are just flat out tough. Where are you right now? Uh, we try to be honest here, those of us who get a chance to teach. And, you know, being a pastor in a church is really easy. And my life is carefree and I never have any problems. And it's just, I wish everyone would have as easy. No, it's just not, that's, that's just not reality. You can follow and love Jesus and lose it all. I've, I've talked about it before, but it's sometimes helpful to repeat. You know, back in the housing crisis, we lost everything. And when I say everything, I mean everything, every dollar every asset, everything. But moments like that can, can crush you or they can actually shape you. And looking back, that was probably nine years ago or so, looking back, as I look at my life then, I realized at the time, I was like, why, Lord, why? We're serving you, we're following you, and why? But they can, they can push us closer. It actually drew my wife and I closer together it actually was uh, an opportunity for us to draw closer to Jesus in it. And at the end of it, we're fine. And as I look back, you know, things had a deeper hold on me than I'd like to admit. And sometimes having things pulled away is a blessing. A am I still a materialist? Yeah. Do I still love stuff? Yeah. But has God chipped away a bit of that? Yeah. And so God can use hardship as discipline health stuff. I mean, so many of us are facing health challenges. This is an oxymoron. I have prayed for people in this church and seen them instantly made whole. Others, uh, a period of time, we've laid hands on people who've come back and say, God healed me. And like, wow, you wonder. And then even in our own family, medical issues that have gone on for years and still no re resolution. Those are opportunities for us to press in and trust that in the big picture I can endure because I know God's plan is good and his plan for us is good even though right now it doesn't feel that good. Your perspective matters. How are you living today? Consider how you live. We need to stay focused on Jesus because life is hard and it's easy to grow weary and lose heart. So two questions that can guide our response, and I, and I hope it's helpful to you because, look, we're all dealing with stuff. And if you feel like you're alone, can I encourage you, you are not alone. You're never alone. This is the normal Christian life. Two questions that we want to respond and worship to Jesus. Uh, number one, what's weighing you down? What is it that's 
that's weighing you down now? Is it a sin? Is it, is it a repetitive thing? Is it, is it a relationship that God's saying, I, I want you to take a step, an action step, and, and bring some healing. I want you to ask for forgiveness. I want you to humble yourself. I, sometimes God is, is, is knocking, 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 saying, there's something you can do, and this is a weight, and I want to release it. But remember, faith is relational and visible. It, it requires us to do something. What's weighing you down? And secondly, that goes along with it, what steps is Jesus asking you to take? It's got to begin somewhere, and the life of faith is about many steps in the same direction. It's about faith that leads to action. And as God brings things to your mind today, or maybe tomorrow, or maybe this coming week, let's, let's all take steps. Let's choose to follow him, even though that often requires change, which is unpopular. And this morning, I want you to think about one thing, one thing that's weighing you down, or, and or, one step that Jesus is asking you to take. And as, as an act of faith, as we worship, I'm going to invite you to release that to God. That might be confessing sin. That might be after this gathering is over, going and doing the hard work of making that phone call or having that meeting or making that appointment. Let's take steps of faith, trusting that God will honor it. Amen? Why don't we stand to our feet and we're going to respond and worship to Jesus. What steps is he asking you to take? Lord, here we are, and sometimes we feel so far from you. So we as your people now, by faith, we are standing, and we're going to sing songs of praise to your name. We're going to cry out with our mouths that you're the only one that's willing and able to save. Lord, we need you. And so, Holy Spirit of God, we invite you now to point out the things that need application. God, the sins that need to be confessed and brought to you, for forgiveness, because in you, Jesus, there's absolute forgiveness. Or the steps of obedience that you're inviting us to walk into. And God, even though we feel powerless to change anything, we choose to trust you that as we walk by faith and take that first step, that God, you're going to honor it. And that your power is going to break through and we will be able to do it in your name. Lord, we look to you, Jesus, because only you have the words of life. So we worship you with our lips and we worship you with our lives. Lord Jesus, amen.